Well, I'm glad to see you all here today. For those of you who are viewing online, at the time of my speaking to you this morning, we here in the United States have just celebrated a yearly holiday we call Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving, by the way. It's a little different this year. According to History.com website, in 1621, the Plymouth colonists and Wampanoag Native Americans shared an autumn harvest feast that is acknowledged today as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations in the colonies. For more than two centuries, days of Thanksgiving were celebrated by individual colonies and states. And it wasn't until 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving Day to be held each November. Now, Thanksgiving comes with a lot of joy for some and sorrow for others. We all have our our traditions that we like to take part in. Maybe that's a parade on television first thing in the morning, family dinners. Some people like football games in the afternoon, special dishes to dine on, fun and games after the meal with friends and family. Household standards for many people here in the United States. But this year was a little different. There was some discouragement proclaimed about having large gatherings in your homes. They said, don't travel, and many people, uh, they complied, and from what I'm hearing, many people didn't. But regardless, for me anyway, this Thanksgiving Day was not like any that I could remember in times past. But skipping aside from Thanksgiving, how many of you watched the 36th anniversary special on 3ABN? Did you get to see that? It was a beautiful program. If you did, you no doubt saw someone showcased for a little while in a couple of the videos whose name was Goldie. Danny Shelton's mother. Well, that same Goldie was my grandmother. It was nice to see her again, even if on video. And while I was watching, I'd sent a a text message over to my cousin Valerie, who was also on the program, and I said, wow, it's really nice to see some of those old clips from long ago, early days of 3ABN. It's nice to see Grandma And we commented about how we missed the days of those big family gatherings. Now, it wasn't always the case, but I can remember a number of them. Grandma Goldie and and Earl, Grandpa Earl, would get together with the five children, Tommy and Kenny and Ronnie and Danny and Tammy, and most of their children. I can remember meals together with us, and there was... Oftentimes there was singing, especially if we were gathering where there was a piano, and there nearly always was. There was singing and laughter and 
babies and stories. My Uncle Danny always has a lot of stories. You know that about him, right? He's got good stories too, really. I mean, often they're just amazing things that he has to tell. But it made me think about how sometimes we long for the past. But I think more than that, if you're like me, you long for the future. What God has promised us about being gathered together again with those that we love and hold dear in our hearts. To being together, sharing a meal together in the presence of God and the Lamb. It's going to be a wonderful time, and I can't wait for it. As I thought about gatherings, I've entitled our message this morning, The Great Homecoming. And when I think about homecoming, the Lord showed me three parables that I want to look at this morning that all have a common theme. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to the book of Matthew chapter 22. I believe our verses will be on the screen today as well. Thank you to our audiovisual team. Matthew chapter 22, and beginning with verse 1. Would you pray with me once more? Heavenly Father, we're, op- we're about to open your word. And I'm praying that you will open our hearts to receive your word with gladness. <clears throat> Speak to us as only you can through the words on these pages. And may our hearts be uplifted and drawn close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> it begins, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22 begins and says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. Now Jesus was fond of sharing parables, was he not? Stories that, for whatever, would would seem to be simple stories, yet oftentimes had very deep and profound meanings. And he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Have mercy is right. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, And as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. 
So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus often began his parables with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. And I think he did that because he was speaking to a very common people and their lives, many of them, wasn't really all that much. And Jesus wanted to give them hope and comfort that there is something better and greater yet to come. They were very common people with mediocre lives, and they needed something to look forward to. Now, the marriage in this parable is a representation of the, the union of divinity with humanity. Revelation calls it the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And think about it. In the parable, it says that a certain group of people were invited, but they were not interested in coming. We know from studying the Scriptures that the first to be invited were what we would call the Israel nation, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. But they were too busy and too adulterous and too distracted by other gods. They would not continually walk in covenant relationship with their God. And so eventually, the call went out to everyone and anyone. Anyone who would respond to the marriage supper, they are called. Aren't you glad that you've been called today? Have you been called? Yes, you have. Have you responded to the call? That's the question. And then the parable talks about a man who had responded and he came to the, to the, to the great party, the great wedding feast, but he was not wearing the right garment. Now my understanding of the way this reads is that the wedding garment is provided by the wedding party. You don't have to provide it yourself. The wedding party provides the garment that you must be wearing in order to come to the, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he didn't have on the right garment. In the symbolic understanding, teaches us that it's not enough to be in the church. It's not enough to just be attending the wedding feasts, we must be wearing the white garments. And of course, we understand that the righteousness of Jesus is the wedding garment, not our own. Our own disqualifies us. We said it in Sabbath school this morning. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And then the parable ends with the words, for many are called, but few are chosen. Today, that call is going out far and wide. Anyone with a television or a computer 
or a smartphone or a tablet or a radio, all of those people are being called. Called to the great, come and be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. But alas, the parables teach us that while many are called, only a few are actually chosen. Do you want to be chosen today? Boy, I do. I want to be chosen. Remember that in another place, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The second parable that I want to look at is, comes from the book of Luke chapter 14. Please go with me to Luke chapter 14. And we will begin at verse 16. A very similar parable, but with some differences. We will see. Luke 14 and verse 16, it says, Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to the master. And the master of the house, being angry, said of his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it has been done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my Supper. Many years ago, there was a gospel quartet by the name of the Kingsmen. And the Kingsmen sang a song that said, Excuses, excuses. You hear them every day. The devil will supply them if from church you'll stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. And it's true. And then the song goes on and talks about the various excuses that people make and the very excuses that they use to keep from following God. But look at the excuses that were offered in the parable today. First of all, I have bought a piece of ground. Now how many of you today would buy a piece of ground sight unseen without ever even going and looking at it and checking it out. I wouldn't. 
So the excuse seems rather flimsy. Or the other guy who said, I bought uh, uh, some oxen and I need to go and, and test them. My friends out here, maybe I don't know if there's any farmers or not, would you buy a tractor without ever even looking at it and checking it out? Of course not. Would you buy a, a horse or even a dog without seeing what it is that you're getting? Of course not. You would check it out first. And then there's the third guy. I've married a wife, so, so I, I, I can't come. What makes him think that the wife wasn't also invited, right? If he truly understood what it was that he was being invited to, oh yeah, he would have brought her along as well. But the, the excuse is, I've married a wife. Let me share something with you from Christ's Object Lessons, page 222. It really sheds light on this. It says, none of the excuses were founded on a real necessity. The man who must needs go and see his piece of ground had already purchased it. His haste to go and see it was due to the fact that his interest was absorbed in his purchase. The oxen too. The proving them was only to satisfy the interest of the buyer. And the third excuse had no more semblance of reason. The fact that the intended guest had married a wife need not have prevented his presence at the feast. His wife would have also been made welcome. But he had his own plans for enjoyment. And these seemed to him more desirable than the feast that he had been promised to attend. He had learned to find pleasure in other societies than that of the hosts. He did not ask to be excused. He made not even a pretense of courtesy in his refusal. The I cannot was only a veil for the truth. I do not care to come. All of the excuses betray a preoccupied mind. To these intended guests, other interests had become all-absorbing. The invitation they had pledged themselves to accept was put aside, and the generous friend was insulted by their indifference. Unquote. So once again, just like in the first parable, those who were invited wouldn't come? Fine. Call anyone, everyone who will respond Come and be a part of the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Anyone who will respond is welcome to come. But as is usually the case when an invitation is given, the time eventually comes when the invitation expires and the doors are shut and many will be left out in the cold. You ever get an RSVP in the mail? You're inv invited to a wedding or to something and an RSVP. You can't just let that thing sit on your table for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? Because eventually it will expire and the party will have come and gone and you didn't even know it because you didn't pay attention to the date. Now the third of the three parables that I want to look at, let's go back to Matthew again. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Beginning at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven, 
There was one again. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were, what's the next word? Wise. And five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, let me ask you a question. How many slumbered and slept? Once again, I didn't hear you. All, they all slept, right? And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Hmm. Without going into a great explanation of the Scriptures, I'm going to state matter-of-factly that a virgin in the Bible represents a church that has not defiled herself with spiritual fornication. She has been true to her vow of celibacy and kept, kept herself spotless for her groom. She has not been defiled by false doctrines and teachings. Also, without going into great explanation, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. It represents preparation for difficult times that are still yet to come. And it also represents light in a dark world. And yes, as we say in the parable, it says that they all fell asleep. Some of us might say, well, I wouldn't have fallen asleep. Not me. I, I, I wouldn't have fallen asleep. I would have stayed awake. Maybe some might say, well, I, I never would have fallen asleep while Jesus was praying in the garden. I would have stayed awake. Some of us might say, I would never have left Jesus in His darkest moment. I would have been right there beside Him. It says all of them slept. Scriptures also say that all would leave Jesus at the end when it came to, to his difficult time. I want to find myself prepared for the bridegroom. Don't you? Hmm. And so here's these, here's these, these virgins, and they're, they're, they're needing the Holy Spirit. They're needing the oil. Guess what? You cannot give someone the Holy Spirit. I cannot give someone the Holy Spirit. It can only come from God. You can't buy it, you can't earn it, and you can't give it away. It is a gift of God. And without it, 
you and I cannot attend the wedding party. As in the other two parables, a time came when the invitation expired and the doors were shut and many were left out in the cold. The words, I know you not, must cut to the heart. In another place, the cry would be given, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he would respond, depart from me, you who, are, who, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. So, let's turn things around and bring, read some things that's going to bring some smiles to our face. What does this wedding look like? What does this, 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 this great gathering look like from the, from the Scriptures? First of all, there are so many, I only could only go and pick a few. We can't spend all day here. But our, let's go back to our Scripture reading that Elder Joe read earlier. Revelation chapter 19. Such a beautiful passage. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, can you say it with me? Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns, Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Coming from a multitude, not a hundred, not a thousand, not ten thousand, but a multitude, a great multitude. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And He said to me, Write. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Let me share some past, some, some, some few paragraphs that I found that are so beautiful. This one comes from the book, God's Amazing Grace, page 24. And it says, the parable of the wedding garment opens before us a lesson of the highest consequence. By the wedding garment in the parable is represented the pure, spotless character which Christ's true followers will possess. The fine linen, says the Scripture, is the righteousness of saints. It is the righteousness of Jesus. His own unblemished character that through faith is imparted to all who receive Him as their personal Savior. Aren't you glad you don't have to wear your own garment to get into the wedding party? I'd feel pretty bad. I'd feel this big if I had to wear my own. But no, no. Jesus offers me His robe, His spotless character to put around my filthiness so that I can attend the great wedding party. Now this one. This one, if this don't stir you, I'm going to share something with you from the book Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2. If this doesn't stir you, let's say, what did what someone once said? If this doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Oh, this is so beautiful. Listen to these words. The temple that I saw was supported by seven pillars, all of transparent gold, set with pearls most glorious. 
The glorious things I saw there I cannot begin to describe. All that I could talk in the language of Canaan, then I could tell a little of the glory of the upper world. But if faithful, you soon will know all about it. I saw there the tables of stone in which the names of the 144,000 were engraved in letters of gold. After we all had beheld the glory of the temple, we went out. Then Jesus left us and went to the city. Soon we heard his lovely voice again saying, Come, my people, you have come out of great tribulation and done my will, suffered for me. Come in to supper, and I will gird myself and serve you. Jesus is going to serve us. Oh, that gives me goosebumps to think about. We all shouted, Hallelujah, glory, and entered into the city. And I saw a table of pure silver. It was many miles in length, yet our eyes could extend over it. And I saw the fruit of the tree of life, the manna, almonds, figs, pomegranates, grapes, and many other kinds of fruit. My wife is going, mm-mm. She likes a lot of those things on there. I guess I do too. We all reclined at the table. I asked Jesus to let me eat of the fruit. He said, not now. Those who eat of the fruit of this land go back to earth no more. But in a little while, if faithful, you shall both eat of the fruit of the tree of life and drink of the water of the fountain. And he said, you must go back to the earth again and relate to others what I have revealed to you. Then an angel bore me gently down to this dark world. And she finishes with this. Sometimes I think I cannot stay here any longer. All things of earth look so dreary. I feel so lonely here, for I have seen a better land. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful it sounds. So what else does that marriage supper of the Lamb, the new life, what else does it look like? Go with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21 and verse 1 says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. A new heaven and a new earth. We like new stuff, don't we? Some of us do, but most of us don't like refurbished things or used things. New things are nice. And God says He's going to recreate the heaven and earth new. 
Now, we're not going to read it, but down in verse 16, I found something very interesting. It talks about the measurements of the city. And it says 12,000 furlongs. I said, what in the world is that? I started to scratch my head. So I did a little bit of research, and I got my calculator out. And I learned that one furlong is equal to 220 yards. Now, doing a little bit more math, 220, 220 yards times 12,000 furlongs gives you 2.64 million yards. And if you continue to do the math, you come up with 1,500 miles. Now, I think about 1,500 miles. How, how do I visualize? Because the Scripture tells us that it is, it is, is, is 1,500 miles on each side, and the city is a cube, right? So that means it's 1,500 miles tall, and I began to try and visualize that in my mind. And I said, hmm, I wonder if there's anything out there on the Internet. And I found this picture. Someone has taken some construction paper and have constructed what would represent 1,500 miles cubed and placed it on top of the United States. Do you see that? That's the New Jerusalem. The size of the New Jerusalem. And then I began to get excited. I said, wow, look at that. 1,500 miles. I think there's one more. Can you share one more? There it is. That's the United States under that little yellow cube there. That's what's coming to planet Earth. And that is what we have the privilege, that place is where we have the privilege to live in if we're found faithful. I said, oh, wow, I can't wait. Now, if you're like me, you can visualize 1,500 miles on each side, but high? I was talking with Brother Mike in the back as we first got here. I said, man, we can visualize the others, but I said, but how do we, I said, how do you build a, a city that's 1,500 miles high? He said, you don't, but God does. Amen. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. And it says that God is going to be with us. And we're going to be with Him. And there's going to be no more tears and no sorrow and no death, and no pain, and no crying, no cancer, no heart disease, no more coronavirus, no auto accidents, no broken homes, no broken hearts, no suicide. And then the list goes on and on and on. The Apostle Paul said, The eye hath not seen, nor the ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. I love that passage. There'll be no more hunger and no more thirsts. Remember when Jesus said, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They will be filled in the new earth, in the new, new kingdom. In another place, he said, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. Oh, I love it. What else? What else is this new life going to be like? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 11. 
Isaiah chapter 11, I just keep, kept finding more and more things that brought me encouragement and told me what the, the, the new life was going to be like, and I just got excited. Isaiah chapter 11. Beginning with verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat strong like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper, in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. My friends, it's going to be a world like we've never seen. Nature is going to be changed. At the time that I'm speaking here today, we here in southern Illinois are in the middle of what they call deer season. And you see the deer, and boy, when they see you, they flee. They're out of here quick. That won't be the case when we get to our new life. You can walk up and pet them, and they'll be friendly and familiar. Now, I want to bring to you one, uh, a passage that I didn't actually give to our multimedia team because it just occurred to me this morning. Revelation chapter 20 and one verse. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. What else will the new life be like? Revelation 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is He who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. No doubt everyone in this room today has loved ones that they long to see again. I know I do. Loved ones who are now sleeping in Jesus. Families will be reunited. Loved ones sleeping for hundreds or thousands of years will be brought to newness of life. As I was thinking on this theme, how many of you have heard our brother Ryan Day sing a song called Never Part Again? If you haven't heard it, get on YouTube sometime, type in Ryan Day, Never Part Again, and listen to the words of the song. It says, there is a land of pure delight where bliss eternal reigns. Infinite day excludes the night and pleasures banish pain. Verse 2 says, there everlasting spring abides and never withering flowers and but a little space divides this heavenly land from ours. Verse 3, could we but stand where Moses stood and view the landscape o'er? 
Not all this world's pretended good could ever charm us more. And the chorus says, We're traveling to Emmanuel's land. We soon shall hear the trumpet sound. And soon we shall with Jesus reign and never, never part again. Oh, I love that. It says, what? Never part again? No, never part again. What? Never part again? No, never part again. And soon we shall with Jesus reign and never, never part again. Oh, it sounds so beautiful. That's what the new life is going to be like. Isaiah 65, I have two more for you. Isaiah 65 and verse 21. Isaiah 65 and verse 21. What will the new life be like? They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Oh, how beautiful. Every day will be different, better, more fulfilling we're going to enjoy our work, it says. Even our, the way we talk and relate to God will be different. He says, before they even call, I will hear and I will answer. A little book called That I May Know Him, page 371, says this. Oh, the mystery of godliness. God manifested in the flesh. This mystery increases as we try to comprehend it. It is incomprehensible, and yet human beings will allow worldly, earthly things to intercept the faint view it is possible for mortals to have of Jesus and His matchless love. How can we be enthusiastic over earthly common things and not be stirred with this picture? The cross of Calvary. The love that is revealed in the death of God's dear Son. All this humiliation and anguish were endured to bring back the wanderers, guilty and thankless, to the Father's house. And I like this phrase here. Oh, the home of the blessed, I cannot afford to lose it. I shall, if saved in the kingdom of God, be constantly discerning new depths of the plan of salvation. All the redeemed saints will see and appreciate as never before the love of the Father and of the Son. And songs of praise will burst forth from immortal tongues. He loved us. He gave His life for us. 
with glorified bodies, with enlarged capacities, with hearts made pure, with lips undefiled, we shall sing the riches of the redeeming love. There will be no suffering ones in heaven, no skeptics whom we must labor to convince of the reality of eternal things, no prejudices to uproot, but all will be susceptible to that love which passes knowledge. Rest. Thank God there is a rest for the people of God where Jesus will lead the redeemed into green pastures by the streams of living waters which make glad the city of our God. Friends, as she said it, we cannot afford to miss it. You see, throughout the Bible, the Bible teaches us that what will eventually happen to this earth. It will eventually be cleansed by fire. And unfortunately, the Scripture teaches us that there will be many who will be destroyed by said fire because they have rejected God time and time again. But in my mind, that's not really the punishment. The punishment is losing out. is not being able to experience what God has in store for us. What He has planned for us. Oh, I'd be ashamed to miss it because some little trinket here on earth pulled our attention away. Or some little relationship pulled our attention away. Or some little anything in this life which is all temporary, by the way. My last verse. Please go with me or read it on the screen. Jesus said, Matthew 26, 29, Jesus speaking here, He says, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh, how beautiful. Jesus is going to be right there with us. How many have a favorite passage of Scripture? Do you have a favorite I have a favorite. And if you know it, I'm going to ask you to recite it with me. It comes from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. If you know it, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's my favorite passage. It's a promise. It's a promise from the Lord Jesus Himself. Do you believe that promise? Those of you who are watching today, do you believe that promise that Jesus is coming back for His bride? My friends, you have an invitation. Those watching today, you have an invitation. It's already been mailed. It's already been delivered to your home. And it's sitting in your house waiting for you to open it and respond. You can have that promise today. Right now, you can open your heart and confess that you're a sinner and that you need God. That you need a Savior. And Jesus promises to hear and to answer. 
for his word is sure. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can have that promise of eternal life. Jesus once said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He didn't define eternal life as a space and time or distance or how long or anything. You can have eternal life now, today. Please do not let this day get away before opening your invitation your invitation to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Open it. Read the contents and check that box that says, yes, I will be there by God's grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me today? Our loving Father, You have shown us in Your Word that all are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I pray that every person who is listening to my voice right now will respond and say, yes, I want to be there. By God's grace, I want to be there. Let us not let this day, this moment, whatever it might be, go by without responding. Yes. And Father, those of us who have responded, yes, help us to keep on keeping on. To keep on living for You and being faithful to You. Loving You and trusting You to carry us through the times that we're living. So that we will one day hear the words, Well done, Thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Keep us strong, keep us steady. Keep us faithful to You. Be with those who maybe are in the valley of decision right now. Draw upon their heartstrings and help each one to make a commitment for You while there's still time. In Jesus' name, Amen.